under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And then look at John three sixteen through 21. These are some of the greatest words that have been spoken in the Scriptures, in my opinion. John writes to us, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in Him is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. The grass withers, the flowers fade away, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. Amen, congregation. Amen. Amen. Thank you all. Be seated. I am really excited. This is, this is so cool. I get excited about things. I, you know, just overlook me, pat me on the head, and tell me to go on. I don't think any, anyone in here, except maybe my daughter, and I'm not sure that she knows or not, knew that I was a big fan of the author Robert Fulgham. Has anybody ever heard of him? Robert, Robert Fulgham? Yeah. He's, uh, he's done, done a number of books. But anyway, he, he wrote a book one time called It Was On Fire When I Lay Down On It. Now, this book has anecdotes and, and other assorted stories that have happened to this man. Who It sounds like he's done a little bit of everything in his life, okay? I found one particular story very interesting, though. It, it, it seems that what he liked to do would go, be to go to seminars and many schools and things like this as, as wherever he could. And at the end of each seminar, when asked if there were any final questions, Fulgham would always stand up and ask, what is the meaning of life? It was as much for laughs as it was really for anything that he would ask this question. I'm not really sure he ever expected to get an answer, except for this one time. He'd been in a two-week school on Greek culture. It was given by a man that almost single-handedly bridged the gap of peace between people from the island of Crete and from Germany in World War II. You see, the German Nazi paratroopers had, had been attacked by Cretan natives with kitchen knives and with other handheld weapons in an effort to ward off the Nazi attacks. And the population of entire villages was executed by these vengeful Nazis because they did attack them the way they did. They hated each other so much on one hill where all the dead lay. The, the Nazis were on one hill. And the Cretans were on another. They wanted to be totally separate and apart from each other. Hate, Fulgham says, was the only weapon that the Cretans had in the end. <clears throat> but a son of this island, Alexander Papadaris, changed all of that. And he was teaching this particular class that Fulgham asked this question. He succeeded 
in his life and created an institute for human understanding and peace. At this institute was where Fulgham had come to ask this particular question. What is the meaning of life? Papadera stops and pulls out a leather billfold from his pocket. And from that he retrieves a, a small mirror about the size of a quarter. Seems this small mirror had actually been part of a mirror on a Nazi uh, motorcycle. Now it started off when he first found it as a jagged piece of mirror. But by the time he scratched it on a stone, he rounded it off to the point to where he was not cut. Papadaris goes on to tell the members of the class that as a boy, he would take that mirror out and he'd play with it as a toy. He had very little else to do. But he, what he would do would be to shine it into dark places that would norm, normally not see the glow of the sun. He would shine it into deep holes and dark crevices, even dark closets inside a house. He kept the mirror, though, throughout his life, coming to the realization that this mirror represented many things. Most importantly, he realized that he was not the light, nor was he the source of the light. But that light represented many things. It represented truth, understanding, and knowledge. And it will only shine in places if he reflected it. He goes on to say that he was merely a fragment of that mirror. Just a part of that mirror. And with that mirror he could reflect into the dark places of this world. Into the black places in the heart of men. And he says that even at a young age he began to believe that he might possibly be able to change some of those people with those dark hearts. He says in closing, his hope was that others may see and do likewise. He replied to the group, this is what I'm about. This is the meaning of my life. Now as I read this story, it brought to my mind what Jesus tells us in our passage for this morning. You are the light of the world, Jesus tells us. Now what does that mean? You're the light of the world. You're to be the light of the world. For others. What does that mean? Alright, with that question being asked, stop right there. For a minute, just a minute. Verse 13 talks about being the salt of the earth. Okay? That, honestly, I could have really done a sermon just on that particular subject. But I decided to go with the likeness rather than the salt. But you've got to think about it. Salt is a difference maker to bland food, is it not? It's a preservative. It does a lot of different things. But if it loses its potency, what use is it to anything for nothing more than to be cast out? And that, in essence, is a very, very brief synopsis of what salt would be about or what we would have talked about in a sermon along that uh, line. But my focus today, we're going to be considering the light of the world. So I go back to that question. What does it mean for us to be the light of the world? Now, does it mean that we're to be glowing figures? Like some of my great-grandson Howie's uh, toys at home, they glow in the dark. No, that's not what he's talking about at all. What does it mean to be a beacon of light, like you might find in a lighthouse? Just how do we keep a light like that glowing within ourselves? Where does that light even come from? Let's look at the beginning of time for just a second. 
Very beginning of Genesis. There was total darkness over all the earth. But in verse 3, we see God created light. And He saw that it was very good. These were the first words spoken by God in the Scriptures. Let there be light. It was good, not very good. That was us. Light is important because it pierces the darkness. Light attracts each of us and it, it brings warmth to us. Light from the sun is reflected off of us and that's how other people see us. You ever notice that when you drive up to your house on a cloudy night especially, just exactly how cold, uninviting, and almost scary your house is when the lights are off? You ever thought about that? It appears unwelcoming, does it not? But if you see that there's a light on outside, maybe you even left a light on inside, there seems to have this greater sense of, ah, I'm finally home. Feel to it. Light is important. Light is necessary because we need to see where, wherever we're going, do we not? Light removes darkness. Walk into a pitched room, once again, it's very invite, uninviting, is it not? can even be dangerous if we don't know where we're going. Think about having, uh, not having light at all. I, I think of those who are blind, and I feel a lot of sympathy for them, especially if they've never been able to see. Think about what they would miss that, that we take for granted almost every day. The beauty of, of, a per, of another person's eyes. The beauty of, of a glowing red sunset. And my all-time favorite, the glow of the moon on the ocean. I love that. Anybody ever wants to paint a picture with the moon on the ocean? You're welcome to. <laughs> Just tossing it out there, okay? <laughs> Thank you. We, we'd miss the colors of spring and fall. And I, I think... We, we would miss it more than we could ever imagine if we just had no light. But you see what Jesus tells us? He tells us to be light for others. Now, what does that mean, to be light for others? It means that we are to be a bright spot in a dark world for other people. We are to be a guiding light in an otherwise dark world. Just as God created light for a dark world so many years ago, He sent another kind of light to the world some 2,000 years ago. This light He sent then didn't light up the night, but what He did do was give a light to a future that otherwise would have been as pitch black as it was before God created light to begin with. We are to be a guiding light in an otherwise dark world. Just as God created light for a dark world many years ago, we are to be the same. John 1, 4 tells us, In Him, meaning Jesus Christ, was life, and the life was the light of men. Verse 9, John 1, we're told Jesus Christ, the true light who gives light to every man. John 8, 12, once again, Jesus Himself tells us, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Matthew 4, 16. Prophecy from the book of Isaiah is quoted. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. 
on those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. So what is this light? What's it about? Well, look again at, at our second reading this morning, John three sixteen through 21, for further proof of what that light's all about. We see that Jesus Christ is the truth. He is the Son of God. He is the light of the world. And yet men love darkness so much. He lo- the, we love it more than the light because our deeds are evil. Now, Jesus... And John 12, 36 invites his disciples to put their trust in the light, to have it there that, that, that they had right then on earth so that they might become sons of light. This light that Christ talks about time and again is the truth of the gospel. And I will tell you this, the light, that, that, that term, I guess, that thought is throughout all of the New Testament. Uh, I was working on the sermon for two weeks from now, uh, yesterday, finishing it up. And everywhere I went, it was like, oh, man, you could have used that in today's sermon. And, oh, no, you could have used that. But, I mean, it's all over the place. The thought of Jesus being the light, the truth, is everywhere throughout the New Testament. And yet, wouldn't you expect it to be? Living in the light is meaning that we are to live Christ-like lives. Now, as we've talked about before, it's reading, it's studying, it's fellowshipping with other believers, it is singing God's praises, it's praying daily. For If we do these things, Paul put it very eloquently when he said, we will die more and more to ourselves and live more for Christ. We'll be crucified with Christ and we will no longer live, but it will be Christ who will live in us. That should be our ultimate goal, shouldn't it? That's what living in the light is all about. We're told that those who follow Christ are in the light, showing the way for the world. Think of it as a great big flashlight that never goes out. As opposed to one that barely is lit. What kind of a, of a light have you got? One is opposed to the other. That's what he's talking about here. As the sun reflects off of us so that we may be seen, our lives are to reflect the mind and will of God so that others can see the sun, S-O-N, in us. But we've got to go further than that. In our scripture reading from Matthew, we're, we're told not to hide our light. If we become a Christian and then live back in the world again as, as we did before we became a Christian, what have we accomplished? Not much, have we? If we go and not live differently, not doing away with the past sins of our lives, are we doing what Jesus Christ is telling us to do here? I don't think so. We are to be like lights in a dark world. Jesus tells us in Luke 11, 35 and 36, See to it then that the light within you is not darkness. Therefore, if your whole body is full of light and no part of it dark, did you hear that? No part of it dark. It'll be completely lighted as when the light of a lamp shines on you. We are to live for Christ totally, not on a part-time basis, Not half the time, not partially, 
It cannot be done. We either live it or we don't. Or we attempt to live it or we don't. We have been chosen by God. A royal priesthood, we're called in 2 Peter. God's own possession so that we might proclaim the excellencies of God who has called us out of darkness into the light. And if we obey the commandments we've been given, our light will so shine before man. Now, hiding under our, our light under a basket then is, is to say that we're not proud to be called a follower of Jesus. You ever thought about that? You ever thought about it in that way? I'll repeat that. Hiding our light under a basket is to say that we are not proud to be called a follower of Jesus. And in so many words, in Matthew 10, Jesus says that if we are ashamed of Him now, then He will be ashamed of us at that last day. It's the duty of each Christian, individually and as a congregation of believers, to stand out as we have been saying week after week throughout our entire Beatitudes study. Not for our sake, not for our prominence, but for spreading the good news of the gospel. To be a light unto a world of darkness. When Christ is in us, others in the world are going to see that we are different. They'll see that we do things and that we react to this world in a totally unique way. They'll see what they may not have been able to put a name on. That is that Jesus Christ, the light of your life, shines His light through us and into that world of darkness. And like a beacon in a lighthouse, we can be the light that others who live in a sin-sick world can follow us to safety. That safety, it's the light of Christ. That light is the truth of the good news of the gospel. Now, how do we keep that light burning? Do we leave it here in this church each Sunday morning and after, oh, I don't know, 11.30 or so, just in time to pick it up the next Sunday at 10-ish? No. When the doors of this physical building are closed, that light should go out into the world with us. It'll be of no use if we leave it in the courtroom here at the Getty Center. Yet we need that time to come together each and every week to recharge our batteries. What we need, as we alluded to earlier, to, to recharge our batteries each day through study and through prayer. Otherwise, our light is going to fade. By living our lives each day for Christ, we will stay close to the source of the light. And by staying near that light, we are going to be in the light that is reflected in us. With light, oftentimes, heat is generated. You ever stood near a large bonfire on a fall evening? It's nice and warm, isn't it? Light's bright. Everybody around you nearby, you can see them, you can communicate with each other, all that good stuff. But walk away from the fire a few feet. And everyone becomes a little bit more difficult to see. And you're not as warm as you once were. The farther you go away from it, the darker it is and the colder it becomes. Until finally, you are totally in the dark in a cold, cold world.
This is what getting away from the source of the light, Jesus Christ, will cause for you and me. You'll end up in darkness in a cold, cruel world of evil. And if we try to be the Lone Ranger, having the attitude, I don't need church to be a good Christian. I am the church. Everything centers around me, you know. I can make it on my own. I am my own source of power. But you think about it. One of your sources of power, fellowship with other Christians, that you need to keep those batteries recharged, will be gone. It'll be virtually impossible to continue to to lead the kind of life that Christ expects of you when you make the commitment to Him. Evil is going to outnumber you every single time if you try to fly it solo. It's just not going to work. We said a minute ago that others will see the light in us that will be different than others throughout the world. How do they see that difference? Do we put a sign on our head or maybe we get a hat and wear it around there and says, hey, look, I'm different. I know you aren't smart enough to figure out why I'm different, so I'm going to tell you. I'm a Christian. You know, maybe some people would do that. I don't know. I don't think you're going to win too many friends or influence too many people if you do that, though. People are going to see that difference in you by your actions. It's called fruits of the Spirit as we see it in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. The light that is within us as followers of Christ will seen by others by the example that we set. People are going to be more prone to believe you, not by your words, but by your actions. If you say that you're a Christian and then you go out and you try to live a, life, a, a make a living in a shady way, for instance, I don't know what that might be, but, you know, use your imaginations. Your, your, your actions are going to speak louder than your words. If you say that you're going to live one way and then you go out and show the world your other side, what do you think will have the greatest impact? What you said or what you did? I want to read another passage for you real quick. Brett, sorry, I got this yesterday too. This is Ephesians 5, verses 8 through 14. Listen to this. This is where Paul writes to us. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light for the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look at Philippians 2, 14 and 15, where we're told by living a Christ-like life that we don't argue or complain about every little thing. We'll become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked and perverse generation in which you will shine like stars in the universe. But we've got to do it in such a way that the limelight is not cast upon us. Christ warns us, Matthew 5.16, our last 
uh, uh, first scripture reading, last verse, when he tells the people not to practice their righteousness before man to be noticed by others. It's not for our glory that our light shines anyway, or at least it shouldn't be. We shouldn't be taking credit for that. It's for the glory of God. In the final verse of our passage, again, Matthew five sixteen for today, Christ Himself urges us to let our light shine before men so that they will see our good works, so that others will follow our example and they in turn will praise God as their Father and their Creator. Witness to others, Jesus tells us here, through our words and our actions. Be that light to others. Show them the way. People are seeking the truth. You cannot tell me that even in the way this society is going, the way this culture is trying to change things, people are not seeking the truth. I won't buy it. I don't believe it. We have got to get the truth out to them. Let us then, as individuals and as Hill City Church, be a people to tell, uh, not only to tell people about Jesus, but let us continue to be a people that shows them Jesus. Christ came into this world as the light, the truth, and the way. He passed on that light to each of us who believe and who trust in Him as Lord and Savior. He tells us that we are now the light of the world. That is to be, as Alexander Papadaris was, as we said at the beginning, that is to be the meaning of our life. We have now what Christ has. But it's our responsibility to continue to pass that light on. My question to you this morning, will you do it? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You. We praise You for this morning. And once again, another lesson that is hard learned by us as humans. Uh, we are weak, crack vessels. And Lord, we need You every hour. So just continue to bless us. Would You, would you continue to strengthen us and guide us as we go along, knowing that we're going to fall. We're going to trip. We're going to stub our toes. We're going to do all of these things. And yet we know that You're there to help us, to pick us up, as we confess our sins to you, Lord, pick us up and put us on the right path again. Truly, we will be a light unto a dark world. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our catechism question this morning. is number 13. Question. Can anyone keep the law of God perfectly? The answer... Since the fall, no mere human has been able to keep the law of God perfectly, but consistently break its thought, word, and deed. We come now to that point of worship where we have the opportunity to come to the Lord's table. Very sacred time, very special time.